This is Ye Old Dragons Library, the storytelling podcast. Here in Season 3, we're featuring the steampunk series, Guardians of the Time Stream. This is a chapter from the prequel story, Odessa Fremont. Ready for fun with fantastical fiction? Then let's begin. Chapter 16 You had to wear a uniform, Jasper said, staring as the girls sedately filed off the wagon, their cloaks only going to their knees. Cloaks and poke bonnets were uniformly silver-gray. The full skirts were a uniform dark blue, with white ruffled pinafores. The skirts, raised to stay out of the puddles as the girls hurried to the wooden sidewalk, revealed uniform black boots and blue-and-white striped stockings. No, we didn't. S shrugged the collar of her jacket higher around her ears and tugged her cap down lower as she crossed the street for a closer look. She was halfway across the street when she confirmed what she had suspected. She recognized none of the girls who got off the wagon. Something odd was going on. Was it possible that Miss Van Hastings had been deposed after all? Had Sutter finally gotten tired of waiting for the resurrectionist to return for the supplies left as a trap under the school and had her arrested? Shall we charm the ladies, Jasper said when S. shared her thoughts. Charm? Her friend winked at her, tugged off her cap, raked her fingers through her hair to straighten it, and sauntered into the first shop where several of the uniformed, unfamiliar students stood in a cluster, giggling. S. realized they were watching her and Jasper. The girls actually blushed when Jasper bobbed a shallow bow to them and addressed them as lovely young ladies. I wonder if you would help me and my brother. Our family is considering opening a mercantile here in your lovely town, and it is vital to learn what the residents here want most in a store. While their outward appearance had changed, the general mindset of the academy's students hadn't. A little flattery, a chance to talk about clothes and sweets and jewelry, and they gladly babbled about anything and everything. Every question S. and Jasper asked about the academy itself, the girls answered without hesitating. Yes, Miss Van Hastings was still in charge. Yes, most of the students had only started attending this fall, after a massive changeover following a huge ruckus in the summer. The school grounds were a mess. Some girls believed there had been actual explosions. Soldiers had found rooms under the school and set off bombs to destroy them. The conveniences had improved greatly because someone had been stealing the steam power that should have gone to heating and cooking and laundry. The school was greatly reduced in size and in the incomes of its students' families, hence the uniforms. Rich girls could afford to compete with each other in their wardrobes. The daughters of merchants and town officials were supposedly happier wearing uniforms, as equality was good for building character. It just means they find some other ways of dominating each other, Jasper remarked, as she and S left the town behind them. They didn't have much protection in the slight awning of the gig, and didn't much mind the misty rain in their faces and clinging to their clothes. Clothes are harmless. Other ways, she shrugged. You sound like the voice of experience, S. said. She sighed. We used to be rich. I had to go to a fancy school before those filthy southerners came looking for grandfather. She swallowed hard. I should be thankful, I suppose. I much prefer wearing trousers and traveling all over the country. S. patted her knee, 
fighting the urge to wrap an arm around her shoulders. Now was not the time to risk prompting a spate of tears. Jasper hadn't seen her father in two years, and various aunts and uncles had scattered throughout the country under false names. Her mother had died in childbirth, and some odd remarks Jasper had made prompted S. to think the circumstances of her death were suspicious. They parked the gig half a mile from the school grounds and walked through the woods to get close enough for a good look. S. looked for signs of exploded tunnels. She saw no trenches as they approached the high wooden fence around the school grounds. Either she had been mistaken, estimating where the tunnels reached, or the soldiers dismantling the resurrectionist Warren hadn't discovered the false walls and tunnels. She turned around, sighting various landmarks as they walked, and gauged where they were in relation to the river. If she wasn't wrong, a tunnel was directly under her feet. S. muffled laughter and considered how she would tell Jasper. Or maybe she shouldn't tell her? S. froze. That shiver up her back had nothing to do with the chilly, damp weather. She turned, putting her back to the fence only a dozen feet away from them. What if there were resurrectionists hiding in those tunnels that hadn't been destroyed? What are you doing here? A familiar male voice said, as a big shape dressed in homespun and leather stepped out from a thick mass of shadows and bushes. Collins slowly lowered his pistol to his side. Does Sutter know you're here? No. She glanced at Jasper, who watched the gun rather than the man. We're set up nearby. I just wanted to see what happened. Not smart. The Secret Service agent gestured with the gun, shooing them away. What if those men you identified for us are in the area? If I could sneak up behind you, so could one of them. Sutter would have my head if anything happened to you. All right. She bit her lip against laughter when the man's eyes suddenly widened and he stared at Jasper, his gaze taking her in from head to toe several times. Was the big man blushing? S. thanked Miss Talbot and Sarah once again for the use of the corset that flattened her shape. Jasper had been filling out over the months. She wouldn't be able to disguise herself as a boy much longer. Plus, the damp made their clothes cling to them a little, decreasing the effectiveness of their baggy clothes to disguise their shapes. What she found amusing was that Collins could tell Jasper was a girl, if that was what that darkening of his cheeks meant, but he hadn't been able to tell S. wasn't a boy. "'Should I draw a map for you and send it through the post?' What map, Collins said, of the tunnels you haven't discovered and exploded yet? She took a step toward the trees. Collins sighed loudly. Come with me. Elliot and two men she didn't recognize were brewing coffee inside the tunnel mouth overlooking the riverbank when Collins led the two girls to what was obviously the agent's headquarters. The cover of vines and shrubs and the wooden panel, cleverly covered with dirt and moss and grass, had been removed. It was a quite sizable cave, and deep enough that the rain didn't get inside. Elliot recognized her, and S. decided to be flattered. Collins gestured everyone out of the shelter, and rummaged through a trunk to find paper, and one of the newfangled pens with a barrel of ink attached to it. He gestured at a table of planks, and hauled over a folding camp stool from the fire pit at the mouth of the cave. What sort of trouble has this scamp been getting you into, he asked after S. got to work drawing. Oh, no trouble at all, Jasper sweetened her voice into a drawl. He's actually been assigned to keep me out of trouble. I'll believe that when he, excuse me, when all unholy heck freezes over. 
Collins caught S grinning at him, and he scowled, even as a flush crept up his cheeks. What are you staring at, boy? Get to work. S muffled laughter and got back to work. She tried not to listen as Jasper fed Collins one ridiculous story after another about the trouble that she kept her out of. They were all silly pranks, mostly consisting of sneaking away from her make-believe governess and guards while her powerful government official father, I'm not at liberty to identify my dear daddy, you understand, took a long-term tour of the southern states. S fought not to listen, because every time she did, she had to muffle giggles that would certainly shred her disguise as a boy. Collins took it upon himself to lecture her, once she had finished drawing, trying to impress on her the seriousness of the position she had been entrusted with. Then he escorted them to the thicker woods where they had hidden the gig. The sight of the small cart on the placid horse somewhat mollified him. Jasper fluttered her eyelashes at him as he helped her up into the cart, which just raised another blush. "'What interesting friends you have,' Jasper murmured, once they had put several miles of laughter-strained silence between them and the school. "'If I don't miss my guess, those were federal agents keeping watch. What haven't you told me? Who made the tunnels? Resurrectionists. That ought to answer everything.' S. regretted her sharp tone as soon as she saw the happy flush fade from her friend's cheeks. She let go of the guiding reins with one hand and squeezed Jasper's hand. I'm sorry. There's so much I'm just not allowed to tell, but, well, we have more in common than you think. More than I used to think, the other girl murmured. A moment later, she squeezed back. We're a pair at the very least. We've come to a break in the story. I'd like to take a moment to tell you about a book that you might be interested in reading. Don't Go in the Water, Classic Monsters Anthology, Number 3. A very strange family vacation that goes awry. A bunch of fairy gardeners who run afoul of a water sprite. Creatures who can control human minds until one man discovers a way to infiltrate their ranks. Sirens, mutant frogs, an ancient demonic river monster, even one monster in space, bittersweet friendship, an escapee from an aquarium, and a monster in the lake. These are just some of the stories you'll read. Good creatures, bad creatures, fall in love with the creature from the Black Lagoon all over again, and remember to think carefully before you go in the water. Don't Go in the Water, Classic Monsters Anthology, Number three, from Ye Old Dragon Books. And now, back to the story. For Christmas, the Countess gave Jasper a sapphire gown trimmed in layers of ivory lace and matching dancing slippers. She gave S a new journal and two books on the ancient civilizations of South America. That made S pause to think about just how much she gave away with the few things she had said about her life. She worried that perhaps the Countess had seen her journal, so she knew there were only twenty blank pages left. Then S. had more to worry about when she got back to their quarters after the Christmas Day dinner and discovered Jasper and her new dress missing. It wasn't hard to guess that she had slipped away to go dancing with Durgan. Over the months, Durgan appeared to have thawed toward her, but S. didn't trust him. He wasn't friendly, but at least he didn't stare, with a fire in his eyes as if he would like to kick her out of his way like a puppy. 
she was still convinced that he spent far too much time with Jasper, and volunteered for too many chores or errands that kept him close to Stockwell. Every time she looked, he was watching the circus owner. What was he looking for? What did he expect or even want to see? She hurried to change into her nightshirt and slipped into her bunk. The weather had turned constantly damp and chilly, and while the crates and sacks filling the wagon provided some insulation, the oil lantern didn't make up for the lack of a stove. S slipped her legs down under her blankets and nearly let out a yelp when she touched something smooth and chilly that crinkled. Her heart was still racing as she reached down and pulled out the envelope with her false name written on it. For a few moments, she just looked at it. Who would hide that envelope in her bunk? When she opened it, she found the letter was from Sutter. He thanked her for raising the question of Durgan. He hadn't responded to her concerns until now, because finding information on the man had taken longer than usual. That, in itself, raised red flags. Thanks to the sketch S. had sent of Durgan, with the last report she had turned in on the roustabout's activities, Sutter had been able to determine that he was not, as he claimed, honorably discharged Navy Lieutenant Willard Durgan of Connecticut. No one who knew the lieutenant during the war had heard from him in years, or had any idea what had become of him. He hadn't gone home, hadn't contacted his family since the end of the war. Whoever now wore the name had taken it up some time between the real Durgan's discharge and when he joined the circus. Hard thudding on the door of the wagon interrupted S. before she could finish the letter. Before she could think to respond or roll out of her bunk, the door was yanked open and Stockwell leaped into the tiny, cramped living space. His gaze landed on Jasper's empty bunk. In his hand, he held a sheaf of papers, and just a glance revealed the top was covered with the same square, bold handwriting of the letter S. was reading. She swung her legs over the side of the bunk and pulled one of her quilts up around herself. Stockwell turned slowly. Instead of the fury she expected, his face was pale, and his eyes held an aching and fear she hoped never to see anyone else suffer. She's with him, isn't she? I'm sorry. She promised me they didn't do anything, but... S. sighed. Kiss. Sutter told me you've been watching him. I'm glad you were worried, but... Stockwell closed his eyes and leaned back against Jasper's bunk. I should have said something to you instead of telling Sutter. Jasmine is your friend. You trusted her. I trusted her. The problem is that Durgan was here when I bought the circus. I thought he was safe. I didn't accept new workers for months, just so I could make sure none of... none of them caught up with me. What if he isn't a Southerner? What if he's just someone who knew the real Durgan died and took over his identity? He has reason for lying to us, but I'm not willing to risk my granddaughter's life that it's a good reason. Stockwell crumpled up the letter in his hand and thumped his other fist against the side of Jasper's bunk. What are you going to do? Besides order her to stay away from him? His mouth stretched in a mirthless smile, grimmer than any frown he could have worn. S. imagined he had worn that expression when he headed into a battle that had a very good chance of killing him. She won't like it. She probably won't listen. I know. I need you to keep watch over her. Don't stop her from sneaking out to meet him, but don't let her ever be alone with him. He reached out his hand, and S. gave hers into his grasp. Can I count on you? Yes, sir. Wherever Jasper and Durgan had been heading, 
Stockwell found them and brought his granddaughter back. S. was still awake, trying to read one of her new books, when Jasper stomped into the wagon, swathed in a deep blue velvet cloak, borrowed from the Countess's costume trunks, likely without permission, and fighting not to sob aloud. Her face was red, but as she peeled off the cloak and flung it down on a nearby crate and tore off the false braids that looked like a crown, S. could see her friend was furious, not tearful. "'What did Durgan do to you?' S. said, choosing not to let Jasper know that she knew, and certainly not to reveal her part in destroying her romantic adventure. "'Nothing!' Jasper flung the braids down to the floor. "'He would never hurt me. I don't care what he says. Durgan loves me.' "'He who? Grandfather!' If her red face and trembling hands weren't proof enough, now S. knew her friend was furious beyond all self-control. Jasper would never make such an enormous slip and refer to Stockwell as her grandfather. Not when she was aware and thinking clearly. Did he catch you sneaking away? Halfway to town. Jasper clenched her fists and closed her eyes, and she shuddered all over as she muffled what would have been an ear-splitting scream in any other situation. I don't care what his government friends say. He has to have a good reason. He'd tell me the truth if he could. Grandfather can lie about his name and where he came from. Why can't he? S. wondered if she would ever find it funny that she could follow what Jasper meant without any trouble amid all the he and his interchanging between Stockwell and Durgan. The most important thing was relief. Stockwell had given Jasper someone to blame, the agents who were still his friends, still protecting him, and not S. What has Durgan been lying about, she asked, knowing when Jasper calmed down, she would be suspicious if S. didn't ask questions. While S. helped Jasper get out of her pretty new dress and petticoats, her friend did calm down and explain the sequence of events and what Stockwell had told her on the wet, windy ride back to the circus camp. Perched on the back of his horse like a sack of potatoes, she fumed. S. forbore pointing out that she would have been flung face down if she were a sack of potatoes, and Stockwell had probably made her sit behind him, holding on to his belt. Durgan had stopped at a roadside shelter, a little less than halfway to town, ostensibly because the wind was getting fierce and the rain heavier, and the little awning on the gig didn't provide much protection. He was very protective of Jasper's pretty new dress, which the girl appreciated. S. felt slightly sick to her stomach when her friend's fury cooled, and she described her sweetheart's care for her clothes. From what S. had learned, eavesdropping on her grandmother's friends, men rarely paid attention to women's clothes. When they did, they were trying to sweet-talk a woman into doing something, to cover up an enormous mistake, or they had been trained to pay attention after years of marriage. Durgan's actions certainly raised more red flags for S., she knew better than to point out the anomaly to Jasper, though. Durgan and Jasper had sat and talked in the darkness of the shelter, and kissed, Jasper admitted, blushing, until the rain slowed. Durgan had just picked up Jasper to carry her through the mud and puddles back to the gig when Stockwell caught up with them. Oh, he was wonderful! Jasper stroked the front of the blue dress, straightening it on the hanging rod, before moving to suspend it from the empty bunk. She sat down on a nearby crate. He didn't move a muscle, just stood there and listened while Grant, while Stockwell handed down his decree. Then he said, Sir, I understand she's your granddaughter, and no one will ever be good enough for her, but we're in love, 
and sometimes that's more important than anything else in the whole wide world. And he bowed, and he just stood there and watched when I was heaved up on the back of the horse and we raced off. Jasper let out a little sigh and slumped dramatically. Her face flushed. How does he know? S whispered, as a chill shot down her back. Know what? How does Durgan know you're Stockwell's granddaughter? Did you tell him? No, I... Jasper frowned. The flush faded from her cheeks. I know I never told him. How did he find out, then? Maybe Grandfather let it slip. She shrugged, but it wasn't the flighty gesture S had seen her use before. There was something defiant, maybe even troubled in the uneven twitching of her shoulders, and the frown that dug lines around her mouth and creased her forehead, just for a moment. Jasper jerked herself up from the crate and climbed up into her bunk. I've certainly been slipping up enough. It's infuriating. Did Durgan really tell you he loves you? She had to ask. Granted, it was romantic, and could even be called desperate, that Durgan announced he and Jasper loved each other. But S suspected it was very different from the man telling the girl he loved her. Jasper's eyes lit, and she opened her mouth to answer, and stopped. S was relieved to see frown lines return, glad her friend hesitated and really thought before answering. Well, no, the frown turned into a pout, and she thumped her pillow a few times. We're not allowed to go anywhere near each other. It doesn't matter that we're in love. Yes, Durgan loves me, even if he's never said it. Didn't he tell my grandfather that we're in love? That ought to count for something. S climbed into her bunk and tugged the blankets up. She felt far colder than the rain and damp and howling of the wind outside could account for. She watched Jasper struggle to get comfortable in her bunk, pulling up the blankets and thumping her pillow to fluff it a few more times. What are you going to do, she asked, as Jasper leaned out of her bunk to reach for the lantern and blow it out. Keep seeing him, of course. The other girl offered her a flat-lipped smile. It was so different from the mischief-filled smirk S had seen when Jasper had defied orders before. The change made her shudder. Then the light vanished, leaving them in cold, windy darkness with the rain drumming down all around them. S. took her derringer out of its hiding place, safely wrapped up in her extra socks and underclothes, loaded it, and adjusted the holster to ride low on her leg. She had to rip a hole in the pocket of her trousers so she could get at the pistol. If she needed to use the gun, she certainly couldn't ask the enemy to wait while she unfastened her belt and reached down the leg of her trousers, could she? Fortunately, one of the guns she was assigned to use when she filled in for another performer during sideshow exhibitions, wearing an enormous fake beard and boots with high heels to make her four inches taller, was another Derringer. At her next sharpshooting practice, she palmed several bullets at a time to give her a supply of ammunition. She looked for Durgan whenever she had reason to move around the circus grounds. Her focus turned to always knowing where the man was, what he was doing, and who he was talking to. Jasper spent most of her day with her grandfather, as his assistant, and Stockwell didn't let her go running around on errands any longer. S. could imagine the seething silence in the office, in direct contrast to the explosion of complaints when she and Jasper were alone together at night. The Countess said nothing, but once, when S. was following Durgan during a free hour, she ran into the Countess, also watching him. The woman looked at her, nodded, her gaze dark and penetrating, patted S. on the shoulder, 
and walked away. We're already at the end of today's chapter. I hope you enjoyed yourself and you're eagerly looking forward to the next episode of Ye Old Dragons Library.